Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Creative Control with Vish there's a small part of me that wishes that all of you had just heard the sneeze that escaped my head moments ago. I have a slight cold. Uh, it's making me cough and sneeze. Otherwise, I'm fine. And it'll be fine. I'm going to get over the cold. I have a couple of announcements to make at the top of this episode. Number one, uh, I mentioned the cold, right? Okay, so that's that. That's covered. Number two, a follow-up from uh, the previous episode's announcement... Uh, regarding the ramping up of the Patreon campaign uh, that's connected to this show. Uh, Again, I'm looking for pledges uh, from you who listen to the show and maybe your friends and your parents and whoever else who wants to pledge to the show. Trying to get the uh, monthly pledges up to $500 a month uh, by the end of August 2015. If we're able to do that, the show will continue, and if we can't reach that milestone... The show will stop, um, and we, we 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 did get a response as of right now. As of as, as I look at this computer screen right now, we are at one hundred and seventy-five dollars a month. So we climbed up a little bit from the last time I checked in. Thank you to those of you who are contributing to the show with your pledges. Uh, we I appreciate it. I almost said we. It's just me, really. I appreciate it. I, I hope we'll continue. I'm confident we'll get to five hundred dollars a month. I don't want to stop this show, but. Uh, it will stop. I will. T- I will stop this show, and turn this thing around. Unless there's pledge. It does feel like I'm holding the show for ransom, doesn't it? It's kind of odd. But I. I'd like to make this happen. So let's let's do this. Uh, so there's that. What else was I going to say? The 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 Cleveland Cavaliers Golden State Warriors NBA final series right now is out of hand, and you should watch it. There's almost uh, three games in a row. Almost went into overtime. Steph Curry is magnificent. I don't even understand this guy. He's in Golden State, and he can hit shots from anywhere. And, of course, you got LeBron James on the cast. I'm obsessed with the, the finals, and uh, I don't know who to talk to about that on this show. Maybe I... I don't know any... Is there someone I should talk to? I don't know. Make for a good basketball interview? Conversation? Dah. Who cares? Whatever. On this episode... Chris Cummings, a.k.a. Marker Starling, joins me for a conversation. And uh, it's a fun one. Kind of goes all over the place. 
but I enjoy it. I'm a fan of his work. He used to work under the moniker Mantler, and we talk about that and why he's no longer Mantler. There's a very fascinating story behind that. And uh, his new album is out now on Tin Angel Records. It's called Rosie Mays. You're going to hear a song from it. And uh, that's all I have to say, really. It's a, it's a good chat. So here it is myself, Chris Cummings, a.k.a. Marker Starling. Patreon.com slash Creative Control if you want this show to keep going. Rants. I'm holding the show for rants. This episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero, the finest pizzeria in all of Guelph, Ontario. They've got delicious gourmet pizzas or choose from an array of fresh ingredients and make whatever you like. Calzones, wings, panzerottis, salads, breadsticks, garlic bread. Pizza Trocadero has it all. You can find them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph or visit them online at trocaderoguelph.ca. That's T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O-G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A. Call them at 519-829-2444 for pickup or delivery. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. I guarantee you a good time. You are talking to a guy who's never had a sad day in his life. You are talking to a verb who's never had to say a sad word. Starling is the moniker of Chris Cummings, an ambitious and gifted pop songwriter based in Toronto. Previously working under the name Mantler, Cummings has created a distinct body of work that treads the line between thoughtful melancholy and infectious joy. His new album, as Marker Starling, just came out this past March. It's called Rosie Mays. It's available via Tin Angel Records, and it's prompted Marker Starling to play some shows, including one in Guelph on Thursday, June 11th at Silence as part of the Nine Years of Kazoo celebrations. Here to discuss some of this further is the, mi- is the man behind Marker Starling, Chris Cummings. Uh, hi, Chris. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Thank you for being on the show. Where are you? Uh, I'm in my home in uh, Toronto's East End, uh, near the Scarborough border. Oh, you're that far east? Yeah. Danforth East. Oh, wow. What? Uh, how long have you lived there? Ten years now. And is, we, it, is, is you do you own the home? Yeah, we bought the house in 2005. Okay. Uh, my wife, Pat, and I, and uh, we now, uh, you know, we have a daughter who's almost five now. So there's been three of us for nearly nearly five years now. 
And, and what is it? There's a, is there enough room? Are you starting to feel like you need to move? Uh, we need to, well, we need to renovate the basement is what we need to do. Okay. The basement, uh, you know, it was set up as a separate apartment, but now it's just kind of become a storage space. So we need to, we need to spend some money on the house. Did you ever contemplate actually using it as a, as a rental space? A lot of people do that to, to make up for the mortgage payments and all that. We, we did for the first couple of months that we owned the house and it was kind of a, it was a non-starter. Uh, we had, <laughs> we had bad tenants. Well, we had tenants who, who played, we quickly realized that, you know, the, the floor was not soundproofed at all and we could hear everything that was going on in the basement and there were, you know, tenants who stayed for about a month and then they said that they couldn't afford to keep the apartment. And so... After they left, we just kind of gave up the idea of renting the apartment. <laughs> oh, okay. So it wasn't ugly. It was like a mutual sort of realization that it just wasn't going to work out. I guess. I mean, well, I mean, it would have it would have been great if we could have rented it out because it would have helped us out with the mortgage and everything. Right. Right. Okay. But so so for uh, for the last eight years, it's just been a, a basement that you need to redo. Well, the last ten years, really. Oh, right. Exactly. It didn't last very long. Okay. And so. Yeah. The east end of Toronto uh, yes. is kind of booming now, isn't it? Well, the part that's booming is is uh, Leslieville, right? Which is south and west of here. Where we are is um, Danforth East. You know, we we live uh, between uh, Main Street and Victoria Park uh-huh, uh-huh. on Danforth, and uh, it's one of the least glamorous uh, areas in the east end. I would say. <laughs> okay. Okay. So it's not. It doesn't feel like it's. Bo- I just, we just we, I, we just lost our, our our big Target store. Oh when, right! You know the big news story of the past two years: the Zeller's store that was there before got turned into a Target, which closed less than two years later. Yeah, that's right. That was a big deal up here in Canada. We loved our Target store. Oh, you liked it? Did you like it more than the Zeller's? Oh yeah, and it had a Starbucks. Oh man, you like the Star- you like the Starbucks? Well, it was a, it wasn't like a real Starbucks. Not that I'm a huge fan of Starbucks or anything. I, I understand what you're saying though. In the in the gen, in the grand scheme of fast food coffee, Starbucks <laughs> seems okay. Yeah. There's something kind of reassuring about it, I guess. Reassuring I about it. What about the whole like Monsanto stuff and Is it Monsanto? Oh don't don't say that. I'm sorry, am I ruining your coffee? Well we we have to ban uh we have to boycott Tim Hortons right. because of their Enbridge um, No, but they has, do we have to I don't understand who's angry at Tim Hortons now. They ran the Enbridge ads, then because yeah. of pressure, pulled them. Now, and then there was a phony campaign saying that people <laughs> were mad at them for pulling the ads. Uh, people right. who were in favor of the, the oil patch were uh, mad at Tim Hortons for pulling the ads, but it turned out to be a phony campaign. Right. So I love that story. It's, it's a great crazy. story. Yeah. I, love, I love every time... There's like a conservative sh- shenanigan thing. It's always ridiculous. I was reading today that uh, Rick Santorum, the American dude who's running for president, uh-huh. showed oh, up in Iowa and like there was like one person at his at his <laughs> election stop, and it was just like somebody involved in the campaign. Like no one showed up to support really? him. Yeah, yeah. The next place he went to was kind of the same thing. But he wasn't still, he like wasn't he like horribly popular in 2012 though? Santorum, yeah, Santorum before he dropped out was pretty pretty popular. I think he 
had a better shot than uh, I, I can't remember if he dropped out before. I feel like Perry dropped out before Santorum, and then okay. yeah, he was right up there, and then yeah, slowly but surely, yeah, he he seemed to be, a, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> totally weird situation. I just wondered about that East End of Toronto because I know a lot of people moving down there. And, well, yeah, actually, uh, you know, our house has um, gone up in value, and uh, you know, it it seems to have. Uh, I don't know. The, the neighborhood has changed a little bit, but there's no condos going up around us. This house, a, house owning a house that goes up in value thing is is uh, a crock of hooey mm-hmm. because people get really excited. Oh, my house went up uh, another hundred grand uh, in the <laughs> ten years since we moved here. It's great. I'm like, yeah, but why is that good? Well, then if we move, yeah, but every house that you want to move to has also gone up that exact same amount of money, if not more. Yeah. So you're just screwed. Like we're in that situation right now where yes, the property that we own, the value's gone up, but we can't we need to move. We have two children now mm-hmm. and a two bedroom house. So that's not that right there. I don't have to do the math for you. I kinda did it already. <laughs> it's not a good situation. But then so yeah, our our house is worth more than it was when we bought it, but it sucks because every other house is it's crazy. I don't know what's gonna happen uh, here. Are yeah, you, are you, yeah. I forget, are you primarily a musician? Do you do something else? I have a full-time job. Uh, I work at uh, the Toronto International Film Festival, and that's been my my main job, actually. I've worked there full-time for 18 years. 18 years? What do you do there? Yeah. I work in the ticketing department. What does that mean? Uh, what do you, you, well, you just, you're taking tickets? I, I did that for many years. I was the um, you know front um, sales, you know, whatever you want to call it, you yeah. know, customer customer relations. A uh, year-round person for what was Cinematech Ontario. It's now TIFF Cinematech. Um, and uh, gradually I was moved into the back room and uh, got more involved in uh, the building of the events and the, um, you know, putting them on sale, making sure the correct amounts are are there and the prices are correct. And Okay. It's very uh, painstaking work. Um, detail-oriented. I, detail-oriented, yes. Right. And they, Okay. I, but I, I, you know, I greatly enjoy the people that I work with. and uh, you, you do that year-round? I do it year-round, yeah. Like, do you work at the TIFF Lightbox thing on... Uh, yes, I do. Which is, what is it, on King? No. Yeah, King and John. King and John, right, right, right. Yeah. I work on the fourth floor of TIFF Bell Lightbox, and, uh, that's you a, know... That's a beautiful, beautiful facility, if I might say. Thank you. Have you seen uh, some films there? I've seen uh, I've seen some films there during TIFF. One of the most magical things I ever saw there was a performance. Uh, I saw two nights of it. It was a musical and film hybrid performance uh, by a, it was Jem Cohen's film. We are we have an anchor. Oh yeah, yeah. And so the band like the uh, this was a film that Jem had made a sort of a documentary film or abstract film. Uh, uh, where he'd filmed a lot of things going on and people in New Brunswick, uh, uh-huh. and then the and so there was a live soundtrack created, and the band was uh, Ephraim, Manuk, mm-hmm. and was it Jessica? I think it was Ephraim, and it was a couple of people from Godspeed, and maybe a couple of people from Silver Mount Zion, or maybe they were the same people and they crossed over. It was Guy Picciotto of Fugazi. Mm-hmm. It wow. was uh, it was Jim White of the Dirty Three. Wow! It was Mary Margaret O'Hara. 
Mm-hmm. And it was um, probably someone else I'm forgetting from the Quavers. It was just, it was magical. Wow, wow, that sounds, that sounds amazing. I've never seen any of Jim Cohen's films, but I've heard that they're, they're really something. Well, seeing it in that space... Oh, and then I also saw Jim Guthrie once did a um, live sort of soundtrack to something as well, to, mm-hmm. to a video game or something. Or was... Oh, right, okay. That, uh, I, I remember that one, too. Yeah. I, I, I've, like, I used to go to Cinematheque all the time, you know, 20 years ago, but now I, I haven't, you know, I've you, barely... You... You barely go, seen any screenings in yeah, the new you, building. You, you work there all day and then you go home. You're done. Yeah, during the festival itself, I'm usually too busy to see any films. I saw David. Well. There was a film, an American Masters film about David Geffen there. Oh yeah. And he was there. Like he did a Q and A after. Oh, he did. Oh yeah. wow. Yeah, I was kind of interested to see that. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, that's that's cool. That sounds like a cool job. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, um, I was listening to your interview with, with Will Oldham today, mm-hmm. and he mentioned uh, in the interview two of my favorite filmmakers, um, Ozu and uh, Douglas Sirk. Right. And we're actually showing uh, two, well, we're showing a, a few of the key uh, Sirk films this summer. They're doing a, a series on uh, Technicolor. Yeah. And there's also a, a key Ozu film as well, uh, Good Morning. So you but, you started messaging me today just to coordinate this interview. Yeah. And you said, I'm listening to your Will Oldham interview right now. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, that's that's cool. And then I, I work at a radio station, and every morning we play, we were one of the syndicated places that play the show Democracy Now. Mm-hmm. Like, minutes after you messaged me, they randomly played a Bonnie Prince Billy song. Oh, and then you tell me this again, and then say you're listening. I'm telling you the level of mysticism and weird magic between Will Oldham and whatever is going on in my life is bizarre. I can't even begin. Have you? I told you the Slint story. Um, well, you talked a lot about Slint in the interview, but it, no, no, that, the, this is a different story. Okay, so Will uh, and I have become friendly enough where. Once in a blue moon, there might be a text exchange, and yeah. um, he, uh, when when uh, was it Don Everly? Don Everly passed away, right? Oh, that was the uh, the, the the Everly brother that he was very um, very much um, into and knew a lot about. I feel like it was it Don. One of the Everly, and I'm blanking, and I apologize. I'm a fan of the man, but I can't think of. I think it was Don Everly. So the, one of the Everly brothers passes away, and I Will has gotten me. Will and and Don McCarthy put out a an Everly Brothers sort of tribute record, uh, and, uh-huh. and and so I've been chatting with Will about the Everly Brothers, saying you know it's so overwhelming. There's so many collections, and I don't know which albums to get. And he gives me some recommendations, and and so when when one of the Everlys passes away, I send Will a text and say. Hey, thanks again for turning me on to the Everleys and those particular collections. It meant a lot, and and uh, I've been really enjoying them. And and he just writes back, "Oh, cool. That's nice to hear. Uh, what's your mailing address?" And I tell, I'm like, "Oh, like I don't know what he's what's going on, but I just sent, <laughs> I text him my mailing address. He's like, okay, and then I don't hear anything at all. I don't receive anything in the mail, nothing. And then six, eight months, I don't know what is what has gone by. I ordered the slint." Spiderland box set, which is very expensive, uh-huh. and it contains a documentary within it about the making of the record, and, uh-huh. and I put it on, 
And as some people would know, the very iconic cover image of the Slint album Spiderland, the photograph of the of the four band members in the water, yes, was actually shot by Will Oldham. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, oh. so Will took that photo. He was he was friends with them. They're all from Louisville. Mm-hmm. So he takes the photo, and uh, I'm watching the film in my house on my home theater system thingy, and it gets to a point in the film where they start talking about Will and the photo. He's not in the film. He shows up uh-huh. in like the bonus features, but they talk about Will. At the exact moment they start talking about Will, I get a text from Will <laughs> saying, hey, did I ever send you that record? And I go, what? I'm just like floored. Like I have not thought about Will really and like whatever. I'm just like, what the hell? So, and I just, I freak out and I tell him like, this is really weird, man. Like I'm watching the Slit movie now and you're just texting me like I didn't. So then he sends me the, th- anyway, he sends me a record. He's very nice. He sends me a record that he's been sort of hand delivering to record stores. And it's really nice of him. It's like a quieter record. But I'm telling you in general, my interactions with him and like this, the day that you and I are having now with Will. You're like I just happened to that episode is very old that you listen to. You just happen to listen to it today. The mm-hmm. film place you work at is showing the films discussed or the filmmakers discussed. That's weird, yeah. man. I'm telling yeah. you something weird about Will and <laughs> and and me and the universe, and I and I don't know what it means. Uh, yeah. I don't. Do you have anything like that? Do you have any weird mystic connection with somebody? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I can't think of. Anything like that offhand right now? But are you conscious of such things? You seem like a guy who's tapped into the universe in a way, in a very special way. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I'm basing this uh, on your music more than anything. Well, mystical connections, eh? I honestly, I honestly, you, I can't think of anything right now. Um, okay, no, mean, it's a, uh, it's a, that's a lot to process in, in the moment. I bet it'll come to you later. Yeah, it'll come to me like tomorrow afternoon. I'll be like, and I, oh, I should have said, you know. Well, then, then that's fine. That's the way it'll work. And then maybe it'll come up organically when you and I see each other, and, and it'll be really weird somehow. <laughs> yeah. Now, you are, you are working under the name Marker Starling, and previous to this, you were Mantler. Yes. I want to ask you first, is this, this album the first one? As Marker Starling? Yes, it is. So what prompted all of this uh, change? Well, it, I don't know if you know this or not, but I was getting sued by Michael Mantler. Uh, he, uh, he's a jazz, you know, avant jazz legend. Yes. Uh, from the 60s and 70s, 80s. He was, suing, pre- he was suing you? To the present day. Well, he sent me an email and said, you know, why do you call yourself Mantler? We had a friendly exchange of emails and sort of said, you know, I, I said that I hope our continued coexistence won't be a problem. And he seemed fine with that. I sent him my CD, which at the time was um, Monody. That was the most recent one. Right. And then six months later, I got a letter from his, his lawyer in Copenhagen, you know, like a cease and desist letter. And uh, it was sent to me and it was sent to Tom Steinle from Tom Lab, my label mm-hmm. in the alone and uh, you know Tom wrote back and said what happened did Michael Mantler change his mind and the lawyer said yes he did he was getting annoyed with uh, the name Mantler coming up every time he did a search for his own name oh no so so was he did he actually that does a cease and desist count as a as a suit 
well, it's the first step, you know. And I went to a free legal service, and they basically said, if you want to fight it, you're going to have to fight it in European court. And uh, <laughs> and I thought, well, maybe it's time for a name change, you know. Maybe this is the fresh start I was looking for. I always thought Mantler was a kind of endearing name. It had a kind of a hybrid quality. Did it have anything? When you named yourself yeah. Mantler, it had nothing to do with, with Michael like, Mantler. Well, I was... You know, I, I'm a record collector, so I had seen Michael Mantler's records. Okay. I didn't, didn't know his music. He was married to um, Carla Blay. Oh, well, I didn't he know worked, that. He worked with Robert Wyatt in the 70s and um, Jack Bruce. Oh, okay. And like, and he was on ECM. He still is on ECM. So he's oh, okay. pretty He's pretty a prominent, high, prominent guy. Yeah, he's pretty high profile. And his daughter is uh, Karen Mantler, who also collaborated with Robert Wyatt. So it's you know, and, don't, big, and, and you're, big guy. you're you're of course his son. Let's not shortchange you. <laughs> That's why you're. I'm the little guy. Here. You're, you're I'm the little guy. son of Mantler. That's what you should have called your project, really. <laughs> <laughs> That's what everyone says. That the first the first um, Marker Starling record should be called Mantler. <laughs> so you you're saying that. As a record collector, you came across his name, and, and then the word yeah. fascinated well, you enough that you named your project basically after it, him. No, it wasn't named after him. It was just the name came up actually in a customer database, like it was somebody's last name, and my friends and I thought it was funny, and this was in like 1995, so the internet was in its infancy. Mm-hmm. No one knew that people would be searching you know, for names on, on such a thing as the internet. Someday, and uh, uh, you know, it, it was also a, t- a time when uh, people were naming uh, their bands after surnames. You know, like Clinton and Hefner. Right. Uh, you know, Hoover. it was a thing. Which one? Oh, sorry, I, I'm a big fan of the band Hoover. It comes up on the show sometimes. I like Hoover. And Rooney. Right. That was another one. Right. Uh, anyway, Lincoln. You know, there was Lincoln. Lincoln. Right. Yep. Okay, so, so you just you were part of a tradition, maybe. Yeah, I was following the trends of the day in <laughs> 1995, <laughs> and uh, it uh, it all backfired in my face, you know, in <laughs> four albums later. Right, but I mean, you 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 ceased and desisted. Like it didn't get uglier than it needed to, did it? Well, Michael Mantler actually sent an, a follow up email. This. Uh, this uh, now I haven't talked about this publicly before, but he actually sent an email to Tom Lab, kind of getting very annoyed that there was a link to one of my records from his Amazon page. Oh man! And uh, yeah, it, it was like you know it was it was all smoothed over in in a, in a day, but still it was like this paragraph of it was in German too. It was, I had to Google translate it, but it was like this paragraph with lots of um, exclamation points. Oh man! Yeah. Okay, so this just this justifies the the name change. Uh, yeah. I don't. I'm usually loathe to ask people about names, but you actually I, you you actually have an interesting story uh, yeah. about it. And, and I assume before, what is the? Again, I hesitate to ask a name origin question because it's kind of stupid, but I'm going to do it anyway because uh, to go from Mantler to Marker Starling, what is yeah. this, what is the significance of that? Well, I need. I knew I needed a name that was going to be, you know, that didn't exist already. So any any sort of band name you can think of that's one word, and it's a real word, 
it already exists. Like you can type it in on the internet and it's, it's somebody's got it already. Right. So it has to be some unique combination of words. And I thought, you know, it could be like a name, like a superhero's alter ego or something like Mark Maximum or something. Mm-hmm. And then, so I was thinking along those lines, like MM. And then I just was, you know, the same day, um, walking home and saw some starlings on a telephone wire. And I, I thought Mark Starling, that's a pretty good name. But then I was like, oh, but Mark or Starling, that's even better, you know, because it's like Mantler. And uh, it, it kind of alludes to Chris Marker. You know, my first name is Chris. Yeah. I don't know. It just seemed to it seemed to click. And then people that I, you know, the first few people that I ran it by seemed to like it and thought it was a strong name. So now you, you there have, it was. You have an alliterative name. You have Chris Cummings, but your, your, yeah. uh, your music monikers all seem to, to have M's in them. <laughs> what the hell's going on there? Is that a is that a thing? Do you do you have a thing with the letter M? Well, there's two M's in Cummings. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, uh, there is. A, I uh, by the way, I I always um, print my name as Chris A. Cummings. Yes, I noticed and, that. And my, I noticed that on the Skype, and I think I noticed that elsewhere as well. Yeah, Chris A. Cummings. That's right. Because there already is a Chris Cummings. Oh man, uh, you're getting sued left and right here. <laughs> There's a guy, uh, a country artist. I, I from... thought you were going to say porn star. <laughs> no. Um, he's a country artist who was signed by Universal or some, some big label in the 90s. And at that point, like, I had just done a couple of things and people were like, did you get signed to Universal? Oh. And I was like, no, it's not me. It's not me. It's another guy. So and he made he made a few records. I don't know. I guess he's still around. But anyway, so I I had to distinguish myself from him as well. Wow, you got a hard life there with just trying to yeah. name stuff that you. And then the album's called Rosie Maze, which sounds like a name too. Yeah, yeah. You got a flower like a floral name thing <laughs> happening. Marker Starling, Rosie Maze. Yeah, I like the way it sounded together. Uh, well, Rosie Rosie Maze. Uh, I mean, I wanted it to sound like a Stan Brackage film or something, like something kind of cryptic, but but uh, pleasant. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Does that make sense? No, yeah, it does. It it, it it seems to, like I said in my slightly heavy-handed and hopefully mostly accurate introduction, that <laughs> what you just described is, is where I was going with that idea of you being between darkness and light somewhere. Ah, that was a very nice introduction, by the way. Oh, you liked it? Okay. I liked it. I liked it. I appreciate that. And I, 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 I've been listening to a lot of your interviews, actually, and I, I love them. Well, I appreciate that. I, I don't, uh, I don't take that lightly, and I, you know, that's very kind of you to say. I don't. Uh, I think you're a star interviewer. Really? You should, should be. Yeah. You, <laughs> I think you're. I think you're on your way to to stardom. Basically, <laughs> is what I'm saying. I feel like uh, as you and I are speaking. <laughs> Now, I don't know if you know much about my background, but I used to work for the CBC. Right. Um, in, in what capacity? I was initially there at Radio 3. Right. right. And okay. I was doing a lot of this kind of stuff, trying to get it off the ground. And then I also had a, uh, a show I'm proud of that I did with my wife on college radio at CFRU uh-huh. called the Mishvish Interracial Morning Show. That, to me, is where I started to really hone this kind of, maybe I can do this. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then the CBC, obviously, I was doing it every day and being paid, so like it wasn't a volunteer thing, I, and I, I couldn't help but try to get better. Uh-huh. And then, yeah, and then I was let go from there, and uh, 
And mm-hmm. now this has felt like a bit of a uh, more on a, on, a, on a, you know, I'm creatively very fulfilled, but it's a more of a financial struggle or whatever. Or it's just nothing here. It's not. It doesn't seem viable. It's a thing. I'm. <laughs> I appreciate that you and some people like you. A small number of people like you say nice things about the show and and how I've been dealing with the show and making the show. That's very kind. But I, I'm also almost every week like, why the hell am I doing the show? <laughs> No, I, I mean, I've, I've found all the interviews to be very um, compelling and <clears throat> they go much deeper than most interviews that you hear. And I like the fact that you let that you, you let your subjects go on at length about things. Yeah, yeah it's a conscious decision after being, particularly when you work at a, a major media outlet and uh, they're very uh, soundbite obsessed. Mm-hmm. It's nice to, but yet at the same time, under the surface, podcast culture was growing and building and the things that my friends and I were talking about were like, did you hear that crazy long interview with so-and-so? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was way more fascinating to me than the blurb I read about so-and-so on the internet, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I don't know. I appreciate, again, I totally appreciate it, but, it, and I think I am feeling like I'm in a pretty good place with the work I'm doing, but I, I also just yeah. wonder how viable it is, but I, right. I, I do appreciate you, uh, saying that because i enjoy talking to people i enjoy talking to people like you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it's, likewise <laughs> it's good right. i don't know how we got onto that i, I, I think you're gonna catch a break well i think, I, you'll, I think I, you'll catch a break oh that's what i was gonna say as you and i are speaking like an hour and a half ago did you see the major news story that came out the, about the cbc oh yeah i just saw it on facebook so uh, so what it is is that the, one of their star people evan solomon Mm-hmm. was uh, outed in an article for, I guess he was cutting deals on art. <laughs> Sorry. It's just that the is most, so crazy. Yeah. It's, it's the most bizarre. <laughs> he was taking like back end, he was selling people art that he, I guess he knew them in a journalistic capacity. I, this is very convoluted. But I, I, people he would encounter in his role as a journalist, he would then somehow, I guess he had a deal where he had art or was an art dealer. I don't know his background. But he would be selling them art and taking a commission based <laughs> and so the CBC found out that the the Toronto Star posted the article and then the CBC like within a half an hour it seems fired him. <laughs> and he was like their star guy. And I almost wanted to tweet at the CBC and be like, I don't understand why you let me go. I'm a totally decent guy. <laughs> I can totally I, I'm relatively competent. What the hell? There's yeah. nothing but villains there and and, and I know the people that I thought are villains are still there, and and, and and they haven't been found. Like every time, I'm just like, when I hear CBC scandal, I'm like, okay, it's probably that guy that finally happened, and then it doesn't happen. So there's like a house of ill repute going on, and I feel terrible because I love so many of the people there, and I yeah. I was just there the other week, and people are like, it's feeling good now, you know, all the crap with Gian and 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 uh, the. Who else? I can't even... What's her name? The, uh, the Leary? No, the woman. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The woman oh. who was also taking, taking advantage of her position. I can't even remember her name. Anyway, just seems like they were like, yeah, it's finally feeling better. Now this mm-hmm. happens. And so, anyway, I just feel like it, this, maybe these two things aren't connected in terms of me getting a break. But they are a major media company, and I feel like me- media companies are on the decline. You must experience this as a mm. musician. Yeah. Fewer mm. outlets that want to maybe talk to you. Do you find that? Uh, you mean the uh, press? Yeah, like in Canada, mm. do you find it more difficult to, to find people that will... Uh, and not because of your music or, or you or whatever, but do you find it it's more of a challenge to find people that are uh, have the space to write about you or cover you in some way? Well, it's always been a challenge. Uh, oh, it has. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, none, none of these records has really, you know, set the world on fire or anything. But um, I would say, actually, like this album got the most attention that I've ever gotten uh, in England and, and Germany, especially. Um you well, know. it's a really fantastic album, and this label, Tin Angel, seems very, very on the ball. Yeah, yeah, they are, and uh, they have a lot of Torontonians on the on the label. Actually, um, they they you know they're based in um, Coventry. Yeah, and they've got Doug, Doug, Doug Tielli was just on the show when he uh-huh. got his record, and um, John I, Southworth. Yeah, Niagara. My goodness, that that that, that thing's amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. so some sort of Canadian. They know that there's something really cool happening. Maybe there's some Southern Ontario expats there or something. Uh, no, no. no? It's, basically, okay. it's basically one one guy. His name is Richard Guy. And uh, well, now he he has a staff now, but for a long time it was it was one person basically okay, okay. and uh you know the, the first artist who i met on tin angel was devon sproul oh who, devon yeah oh my goodness she's a remarkable mm-hmm. and uh you know she was born in uh kingston but she she grew up in uh, virginia so she's lived you know most of her life as an american despite being a canadian right and uh but she has come up to toronto to make two records uh at six nasa with with sandro perry producing them mm-hmm. Um, the most recent one was um, Colors with Mike O'Neill. Yeah, beautiful record, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then um, uh, the one before that as well, I Love You, Go Easy. Mm-hmm. It was also done in Toronto with all Toronto uh, musicians. Um, so I think like kind of having those two records um, made um, introduced Rich to a lot of people here. and uh, Right, okay, I see. And, and knowing, knowing me as well and, uh, you know, I've I've known Sandro for years as well, and I've sort of known a lot of the people in the same group of musicians that played on those records. And and your work with Tom Lab, I mean, you you have a you have a following in Europe. Well, I I mean, <laughs> it's it's a bit you know it, that's that's like charitable way of of putting it, but uh, I, I I I have been putting music out in Europe since two thousand and. I mean, well, Tom Lab, I, the, the, the records came out internationally. So, 
they didn't like the first one that came out on Tom Lab was called Satisfaction okay. in 2002, right. and that did that did get some good reviews, um, especially in France. And then the record that came out after that, Landau, was not as well received. And then there was a long gap between that record and the next one, which was Monody, that came out in in 2010. Uh, so you know and. I didn't really start touring regularly until 2009. Um, and uh, since then, I mean, I, you know, I, I just did a big tour of Germany with a, with a group called Von Spar. Yeah, who, you did some songs with them on their record, right? Yeah, I sang on uh, four songs on their newest record, uh, Street Life. And uh, they were they were on Tom Lab at one point as well, and they're, and they're from Cologne. So that kind of boosted my... Uh, profile in germany because they they're pretty well known over there they were playing big much bigger shows than what i'm used to right and so we did six shows together um in germany in november and then i went back in april and we did 12 more shows in uh, in april so i mean so you're saying when, when i say you have a following you're saying that it's 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 still building and growing and every time you go <laughs> yeah it's it's still building and growing it, it, it actually the album got reviewed in uh, german rolling stone Nice. And uh, Specs and um, a few other print magazines, and it also got reviewed in the NME in England, which is a real coup. Oh, good for you! Yeah, yeah, that's great. And, no, I mean, I, and I think it's well deserved. Do you feel like the the name change uh, impacted any of your kind of aesthetic choices? Like, did you view the the, the change in name as a as some kind of sign to to try something different with this record? Well, the album was already underway when the name change happened. So, uh, you know, whatever aesthetic changes there were came about as a result of organic, I don't know, change. Uh, mm -hmm. Mostly, I think, to do with the fact that I was about to become a father when the, when the album was initially um, recorded. Like, the first parts of it were recorded in 2010, just before my daughter was born. Oh, okay. So, there was this kind of spirit of optimism and, you know... Heady, heady love, you know, kind of flowing through everything, and uh, that, uh, you know, just the feeling of looking forward to to the the baby's birth and the the, the baby's life and everything. Yeah, and there's that. I can sense that tension of of uh, expectant fatherhood and and maybe fear. Like some of the song titles yeah. themselves are just kind of. Like I guarantee you a good time. It's just like <laughs> kind of a, like like you know. I don't know if that's about your impending uh, fatherhood or you know your a song for your child, but it just sounds like sort of that kind of stuff kind of comes across. That was that's actually an old song. That song was written in like nineteen ninety nine two thousand. Oh okay okay. So, so no. that was in like I don't know what like I had been listening to the Beach Boys a lot, especially like um, Sunflower and. Uh, Wild Honey and Friends. Yeah. Those records. And uh, it was kind of like, I'd say it was like trying to do that. Originally, I conceived it as a sort of new wave song. But I've never I've never successfully done a new wave song. <laughs> right. You don't feel so, like you've been successful at it even. You mentioned earlier that you're a record collector. What does that yeah. actually mean? How active a record collector are you? What's your collection like? Well, I think I must have about 5,000 records. Really? Holy Lord. And I've been collecting them since the early 80s. So I feel like you should talk to my wife. She's on me about these records. 
Oh yeah. But I don't have no five thousand records. <laughs> I've got a room. I got a room full of records and keyboards, basically. That's good. And, That's good. I mean, it's mostly um, R and B, jazz. Um, it's a lot of a lot of that. Are you a fellow but, that collects stuff to sell it, or do you collect it to listen to it and 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 keep it? Oh, I listen to it and keep it. You know. Do you ever sell it? Uh, you know, sometimes I have. I, I get doubles sometimes to give to friends. Okay. Things like that, you know. <laughs> I like to I like to give records away. But have you ever like unloaded a particularly valuable record just because you're like, holy crap! Like, what the hell? This is going for so much money. No, I I don't, I don't know. Like, I I have no idea like what valuable records I have. Actually, I should I should get them. You know what? Don't. It's, I shouldn't have even brought it up. It's it's <laughs> kind of crass actually i just was curious if you've got five thousand there are there are there's, there's like a fetishization you know there's like people who kind of get way too into that stuff yeah the record collecting and the selling the record i got a really valuable version of like do you have are you a beatles fan yeah yeah so are you a guy that will have like I, multiple copies and rare copies of certain you know I, I, no no. I don't have mono <laughs> i think i have a mono um sergeant peppers mm-hmm. that i found at a Really cool uh, flea market in in Stratford, which is where my wife's family is. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, we go there twice a year. Um, but it's you know, I got it home and it was really hacked up and it wasn't in very good shape. So it's okay. good that I I only paid twenty five dollars for it. <laughs> but most of the Beatles records that I have are like the one the copies from my childhood that are really hacked up and you know my copy of the White Album is like pretty much unlistenable and. Uh, I don't mean to, I don't even mean to uh, focus in on the Beatles necessarily. I just think, I was just thinking of you it doesn't sound like you're one of these people. Uh I'm not one of these people. I buy records because I like them. And no. I want to listen to them. Yeah. Although I just heard uh, some of the new the newly issued uh, mono uh, Beatles, you know, the the all analog mono uh, reissue box. I I have that, that box. just came out I, in 2014. I bought that box. Did you? I did. <laughs> I think I think I I think I'd like to buy it. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I've decided it's worth it. It's. It was a little hard. I got it home. I was so excited, and uh, there's a floorboard that's making my record player skip. And my kid, <laughs> my boy, was just running around when I first decided finally to open that thing up and get it going. And I was so disheartened by how much skipping was happening that I put it away, and I haven't actually gone back into it. But what I heard <laughs> sounded really great, <laughs> and I was happy I bought it. Uh, I I have a similar thing where one of my speakers is kind of dull sounding, and I haven't done anything about it. I think I need a new needle, and uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of stuff wrong with my stereo right now. Right. So listening to records is a bit of a disheartening experience right now. But I mean, uh, it's important to your process. Like you were mentioning that uh, <laughs> the song we were just discussing. Um, Guarantee you a good time. Guarantee you a good time was sort of uh, came about after a period of being really absorbed in the Beach Boys. Do you? Yeah. Do you see other? Um, sorry, is that song an anomaly in the fact that it was written so long ago on this record? Uh, there's one other um, song that's old, uh, "Uphill Battle." Uphill Battle, which closes out the record. Okay. Yeah. So that was written in 2001. Oh, okay. So not quite even around the same time. Okay. So do you? Does this record then, aside from maybe, the, well, maybe those two things are included in this, they might as well be part of this question. Do you feel like this record is capturing a particular period in your life? You mentioned that the birth of your daughter 
uh, or rather the impending birth of your daughter was was yeah. so, it was certainly present on this record is that yeah that's the, i guess that's the main thing i guess so i mean the, the first song flower of laughter is about that you know and my feelings of sort of wanting to wanting to bless her life basically yeah. and, and then um, the the same chords from that song in Flower of Laughter are reused in the, the last song on side one, which is um, Brightest Day, which is like a slow version of the same chord changes, basically. Okay. And in that one, I'm also saying, you know, uh, may you have a good life, basically. And, uh, you know, you will find your song. Like, that's one of the lines from the song. <clears throat> so does, does, this, does this, did any of this sentiment cause you to write... Um, sort of more optimistic sounding songs? <laughs> well, I seem to have a knack for writing very, uh, <laughs> very melancholy songs, but I, I, you know, one of the, uh, one of the nicest reviews that I got on uh, this record was from, uh, I think it was from Specs, where it went into a lot of detail about the albums I had done up to this point, and And then it said, but now the sad clown phase is over. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I like that because this was kind of like, I think something, we did something different in the production and I worked, um, you know, my, my producer, my longtime producer's name is, uh, Zach Gilbert, uh-huh. Zach G. Uh, he worked very hard on the mixing and, and, um, <clears throat> we, we just ended up with a brighter sound overall. And then the, we used a different mastering engineer than we had ever used before, uh, 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 Joe Carvalho. Mm-hmm. And it, he had a, a really bright sound as well, so I think it just resulted in a in a much brighter, kind of richer uh, sound than we than we ever had before, which okay. seemed to resonate with a, with a lot more people. Yeah, I I can see that. I think that uh, particularly those of uh, those those folks who have sort of followed you, I think, have noticed the the sort of shift in demeanor almost. Uh-huh. And I think that, um, yeah, I, I, this is all sort of coming together for me now, having hear, having heard you explain uh, the shifts you've, you've made in terms of production and, and the, the sort of mood and tone you were after. I think that all makes makes sense. Yeah, I mean, we, we had made, um, uh, you know, my first three records were basically solo records with maybe one or, you know, a few other collaborators. Um, and then my fourth record, Monody, was really the first time that I used um, live drums and, and, you know, many, many different collaborators like string players, horn players. And uh, so we kind of just we knew we wanted to do something like that again. But we wanted I don't know, like me and Zach were sort of talking about it after it was done. And Zach kind of said, well, I always you know, I didn't know how we could do something cooler than Monody, but we did. <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's great did you have that same sense of satisfaction after this was done oh yeah yeah very much so now, and, and also the other thing I, I should say is that we I decided to uh, press the record on transparent pink vinyl which is the first time I've used colored vinyl and that that has been um, it turned out really beautifully now how does it sound I, I, I was just talking to a friend of mine about this that he finds that his colored vinyl will will skip more readily than than his well, normal vinyl. Well the apparently it was true up until recently that it was inferior quality but now uh, it's no longer the case. I think they figured out a way to Oh, is that and right? It, it's it's 180 uh, grams. Yeah, I mean I understand that it's a thick <laughs> and high quality slab, 
Uh, but it's still pink. Are there any more of these uh, pink vinyl editions available? Yeah, it's the only edition. Oh, okay. I thought it was a pretty limited... Uh... Well, I mean, it's a, there's 500 copies total. Oh, okay, okay. So if, if people want, they can... And they're available at your fine record stores in Toronto and all over the world? Yes, yes. Uh, I've been trying to, uh, you know, stock stock them in every uh, record store in Toronto. So, uh, so if, I, if I go to Rotate This or Sonic Boom or something, it'll be there? Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna... to rotate this, had it on the wall. Oh, well, that's great. That's yeah. nice of them. I wonder, did it, yeah. do you know if it sold well there or is it selling well? Yeah, apparently they need more copies. Oh, man. Well, you better get down get... there. I'm going to Toronto tomorrow. I want to pick one of these up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, see you, I'll see you at the show in Guelph, though, right? Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll have copies. Oh, yeah. I can buy one there. You're right. Okay. Yeah. I won't go to the record store then. Okay. That's fine. Now, uh, have you already, <laughs> after all of this positive uh, feeling uh, around this record, I mean, this record came out in March. You know, you'd made it uh, presumably well before then. Um, mm-hmm. It was, where, yeah. Where are you at now in terms of uh, music you've created, uh, feelings you're trying to express? Uh, you know, you are a dad now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I actually have a lot of material in the can. I, and I have another record, um, which is slated for the end of this year, um, called I'm Willing, which is a covers record. Oh. And it was done completely solo. Uh, so the only instruments are drum machine, uh, piano, and, and voice. This is the and, way you kind of used to primarily work. Well, I mean, it was the way that I made demos, but whenever I made albums, I always tried to make them more elaborate. Oh, I see. Right, that's and, right, yeah. And so for, for this one, I just wanted to see what I could do. And I, I, I didn't do it with just, um, you know, it's not like a live off the floor record. It's it's layered. Like there's there's layers of piano, there's layers of voice. Uh-huh. And it was recorded last year in Paris uh, by a producer named Emmanuel Mario, uh, who works with uh, Leticia Sadier. Oh, nice. From Stereolab. From Stereo Lab, yeah. and she sings. She sings a duet with me on it as oh well. Oh my god, that's amazing! Yeah, so that was, and I got to meet her, and uh, you know, she came to see me play uh, twice in in England in, in 2014, and this year also. She's a she's a sweetheart and a great. Inter- I had a nice time interviewing her a couple few couple three four years ago. Now I had a nice time talking to her. Yeah, yeah, no, she's great. Yeah, I I'd, I'd always heard that. She was a nice person, and she really is. Yeah, and very, just a really smart, politically conscious. Like, yeah, I just I remember. Yeah, it's all yeah. kind of coming back to me now that we had a really, uh, I thought a really nice chat, and uh, I was kind of felt inspired after it in some ways. Uh, I can't pinpoint exactly why right now, but I remember feeling good about it. So, uh, and so <laughs> she's an inspiring person. Like her new her new record is really good. Something shines. Yeah, I don't think I've actually heard that. I I, I should check that out. It was kind of poorly reviewed, but I've listened to it many times now, and it's it's really good. Yeah, no, she's 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 a she's kind of a wonder, I would I would say. Yeah. Now, who you say that's a covers album? Can you talk mm-hmm. about some of the covers? Um, well, the first song is um, the song um, "Stormy" by the Classics Four. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that song, but uh, I don't think they, I do. They also did the song uh, "Spooky." Okay, and uh, it, it's uh, I don't know it's just like a top forty song from the late sixties that kind of was always on oldies radio 
when I was listening to a lot of oldies radio in the early 90s. Probably a song we would know if we heard it kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's uh, two versions of the song, the original version by the Classics Four and um, another version by Duke Pearson and Flora Purim. That's a Brazilian jazz version. Uh, and I had heard that version, which is really hard to play on the piano. And Duke Pearson is one of my favorite, um, you know, he's a blue note um, <clears throat> jazz pianist. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was the version that I heard first. And I was like, boy, I wish I could play that, but I can't play that well. And then I heard the original version later on. And, and I was like, oh, this is actually a really easy song to play. So I started doing it as part of my live set a few years ago. <clears throat> so that seemed like a natural fit. Um, but I, what I did was I auditioned about 20 songs and picked the best 10, you know, the 10 that seemed to, to suit the, um, suit my voice the best and would, would be the easiest to pull off. Cause we only had four or five days to record the record. Mm -hmm. And, um, so the, you know, I had thought that it was going to be like more of an R and B covers record, but it ended up being a lot of jazz covers and spiritual jazz and, uh, two Brazilian songs in English. And, uh, a couple of rock, a couple of rock songs, but like on the softer side. And and you mentioned, did you say it was called "I'm I'm Willing"? I'm willing, yeah. So that's that's the the album is named after uh, a song by the Moments. Okay, wow. See, so, yeah, this sounds uh, nothing is ringing too many bells. So I'm I'm very curious to hear this. Yeah, there's uh, let's see, there's a Roy Ayers. Uh, well, there's a song that Roy Ayers did mm -hmm. uh, called "For Real," although it's, it's written by a guy called Flowers. And the original version was by Flowers. What? This is, and you're Marker <laughs> Starling. All right, we're getting yeah. into that mystical stuff now. <laughs> starting to happen. And um, <clears throat> I did a cover of uh, Catano Veloso's song, uh, which is also a duet with a singer named Nina Savari, uh, who is the partner of uh, Emmanuel Mario. And she's, um, you know, she's a wonderful singer. Okay. And she's a recording artist and a theater artist. Nice. in france and uh so so uh, you know i devised a version of that song as a duet um there's also uh there's another song a brazilian song by uh ivan Linz, uh that uh, i first heard in an english version by sarah vaughn called the smiling hour and uh that's kind of the last song on the record i sing a little bit of portuguese actually at the end of the song do you do you normally speak portuguese no, no. You just learned you learned the lyrics. That's always a fun thing about language and song, isn't it? You can just I think the first French I ever spoke was probably because of the song Michelle by the Beatles. Right, right. <laughs> and I didn't know what I was saying. I was just yeah. sort of phonetically saying whatever. I don't know if Paul knew what he was saying either, but <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> I love that song though. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of funny that that's the way it works. Okay, well that sounds very exciting. So that's coming out before the end of the year. Uh, will that be out on Tin Angel? Yes. Okay, great. That's great. That's 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 excellent. So you're feeling and then in terms of original stuff, do you are you you say you have a bunch of stuff in the can but Yeah, I, I actually have another solo record of originals uh, already in the can as well. When you say in the can, it's been recorded? It's been recorded. Uh it's not been mastered yet, but uh um this was done in a separate um session last November in Berlin actually at a studio called Low Swing uh with a producer named Guy Sternberg. And did you have your so, band with you? 
No, that was also a solo record. Oh, okay, okay. So I, I, I've sort of done three records. Uh, the, the I'm Willing, the French covers record, was done with a Yamaha CP80, which is the sort of Billy Joel keyboard. Okay. <laughs> and then uh, I, did a, I did a new record with Zach and also with Jay Anderson and Matt McLaren, uh, my regular um, drummer and bass player who also played on Rosie Mays. Yeah. Uh, we did a, a new record. Um, we recorded the bed tracks for a new record anyway in Toronto in the summer which is sort of um, partly originals, partly covers, and partly redos. Uh, and that that will be probably the next one to be finished, and then the, the Berlin one will be the, the third one. And so wow. so the first one was, was done on a CP80. The second one was done on a Fender Rhodes, which is the sort of more robust-sounding, um, you know, electric piano sound. Yeah. And then the third one was done on the Wurlitzer, which is the one that I normally play. Like, it has a more sort of light, watery sound. Right, right. Okay, well, it does sound like you've got a lot of stuff coming. It's like a bit of an explosion of creativity. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I learned to work a bit faster because um, I was sick of having such long gaps between records, and uh, I don't know. I think I, I'm trying to do everything to increase my chances for visibility. Well, I think that uh, some people have the uh, misperception that when you become a parent, uh, you don't have as much time or you can't be as productive. But I don't know if your experience has been the same as mine, but I really value that two or three or four hours I have when my child, my children are asleep mm -hmm. and I end up being hyper productive in that period before I collapse yeah. and have to go to sleep. I'm just well, for, for me, it's uh, getting up at four in the morning and uh, doing a bit of work oh, in the morning before okay. before the household uh, wakes up. What time do you get up? Or what time do you go to bed, I mean? Nine or ten. Oh, yeah, I can't do that. I'm a, I'm a night <laughs> owl. I don't sleep before 12 or 1. And oh, really? Then, yeah, I can't do it. I just can't do it. No matter what, like, I can be exhausted. And I just make myself... It might shift now that Letterman's off the air, actually. I, uh -huh, I have uh -huh. very little reason to be awake at that hour. There's nothing on nothing I want to see on TV. Oh, uh, yeah, I, li <laughs> I, listened, I listened to both of your Letterman uh, uh, podcasts. Oh, thanks. The Chad Van Gale one's pretty funny. He's hilarious. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's so funny. Yeah, Chad's great, and I really, really like talking to Mike uh, Sachs. I thought that was uh, pretty interesting myself. Oh, yeah, yeah. He sounded like, oh, God. He seemed like right in that world. Yeah, you know? I, I've been really lucky to tap into, you know, these days, as you've probably experienced by, you know, you, you talk about uh, people you've managed to work with uh, that may have seemed... That might have been difficult 10 years ago, but I feel like everyone's a bit more accessible than they used to be. Uh-huh, uh-huh, because of the internet? Yeah, and, you know, you can send a Facebook message and you might actually get a response from someone who normally you'd have to go through several tiers of handlers or something right, to get right. something done. And uh, now you can just sort of, you know, I didn't go through the publisher to talk to Mike. I just, <laughs> not that he's a, you know, I don't think a lot of people know who he is, but I think he, you're right, he's right in that world and, people in that world regard him very highly as a journalist and as a, as a someone who knows a lot about comedy so uh -huh. anyway yeah it's just the world we live in now it's it's good it's good for people like you it's good for people like me we can actually you know access people that are talented and have things to say so it's good <laughs> yeah anyway i i do want to say that uh for people who are listening the new marker starling album the latest one is called rosie mays it's available via tin angel records right now and as i mentioned um he will be uh, performing in where I live in Guelph on Thursday, yes. June 11th at Silence as part of the celebrations uh, for the ninth anniversary of the Kazoo 
uh, concert promotion enterprise that happens here in Guelph. And uh, you'll be playing with the Gordon Brothers and Hank, I believe, right? That's right, yeah. And Hank is a band that um, I also play in. Yes. Uh, so I'll be performing um, as a band member with Hank also. Right. And and, and people can learn more about uh, Rosie Mays at, what, the Tin Angel Records Bandcamp page? Or is there... Yep. That's uh, If you just type in Marker Starling, uh, Rosie Mays. You'll cut, you'll, the first page that comes up will be the band camp, and you can hear all the all the songs on the record. Yeah, and you can go to tinangelrecords.co.uk as well. Um, do you have your own little uh, internet hub of your own? I don't, although I do own the domain name markerstarling.com. I haven't done anything with it yet. Yeah, you better... Uh, yeah, that's good. I'm glad you, you registered it so you can avoid issues. Yeah. Something you've learned the hard way. Oh, is there a song from... Uh, from Rosie Mays that we can go out on right now, Chris? Well, the song that seems to be gaining the most traction is Husbands. Um, in, in England and uh, Germany, it seems to have um, kind of, people seem to have really, uh, I don't know, it seems to have uh, sort of set people's imaginations on fire over there in a way that I, I don't know if it would in North America. It seems like people over here, I, I don't know, to, like Zach uh, said, you know, I would have never picked Husbands as a single, but... It's uh, I don't know. Maybe it just has a very like a very typical North American sound. People have said it sounds like I don't know Christopher Cross or Steely Dan or something like that. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so do you want you want us to play that? Yeah. Or me? Yeah. I don't know who us is. I'll, we'll play that. All right. So uh, uh, I know it's been many decades bef- uh, since uh, England and Germany could agree on anything, but it sounds like if if there's any one thing, it's this song, <laughs> "Husbands" by Marcus Starling, right? Yeah. Okay, were you going to say something else? Oh, just to say that it's um, named after the film Husbands by John Cassavetes. Oh, look at that. There's a cinematic uh, connection there as well. And it kind of describes the things that happen in the film, and it's my own faulty memories of the, the plot of the film, basically. Oh, you, didn't, you weren't watching it and then writing the song? You wrote it sort of a, 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 from, based on a memory of the film? Yeah, based on watching it sort of 20 years earlier. When I was when I was a young, you know, twenty one year old, um, kind of obsessed with middle aged guys, to being <laughs> a middle aged guy, uh, you know, living the living the life of a middle aged guy. Right. Okay. Well, yeah. Let's hear. It. This is Husbands by Marker Starling and uh, Chris. I, I really enjoyed this conversation, and I appreciate the kind words and, and your your patronage of the show, so to speak. So thanks for being on the program. Thank you, Vish. Somehow 
saw the stunted bravado crying out between the singing. Takes a real aficionado to hear the truth they're bringing. Now their husbands, their husbands, husbands, husbands again. Their husbands, husbands, husbands again. Their husbands, husbands, husbands again. Thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.